Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So I think by now we've, um, we should be getting used to this specific piece of scripture. So you might be wondering why are we looking at this over and over and over. This teaching we're doing, this um, specific process that we are in, it basically sums up with... Um, what church is for, basically sums up what fellowship is about, why, why we come together to study the word, why we fellowship, and um, it basically sums up why we are here, <laughs> why there is uh, people who teach the word, and why there is pastors, and why there is ministers of the word. Why these evangelists sums it up. From from our perspective, often although we're a small fellowship, it's still we still have to balance doing what we're supposed to do and making sure that we still keep it interesting and fresh. But we are very careful very careful not to get tempted even by the people that we know so well. Not that you will tempt us, but that we don't get tempted. It's our clunk of sin. Thanks for doing that here. Hello, Marizan. Did you your tea grow? So, so in many years in, in the church world, uh, that, was a, that was the thing. How do you keep everybody interested? How do you, how do you keep the momentum going? Um, that's what most people worry about. But for us, our main concern, our main purpose is to make sure that we all, as a fellowship, just simply come into the way of God. Um, that's it. And so what does a shepherd do? Does a shepherd come up with um, new activities for the sheep every day? <laughs> we've, got a <laughs> we've got a holiday plan for all the lambs. <laughs> Going no. to see a new bush today. <laughs> <laughs> no, a shepherd, a shepherd doesn't do that. Shepherd's job and function and purpose is to keep the sheep safe mm. and to make sure that they get to the pasture. So if there's nothing wrong with the pasture where they were eating yesterday, why look for a new one? One that's further afield, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> so if there's a perfectly good stream of fresh water, then there's no reason to travel to the other side of the mountain to go drink water, is there? Okay. And so that's why we're taking it at a very gentle pace regarding this specific topic. So we're still looking at the question of 
Firstly, how will we be judged? When will we be judged? Um, and is there rewards? Because the Bible does speak about rewards. And this que these questions speak to the big issue of works versus rest. Uh, what grace is in the end of the day, um, and what our responsibility is while we are on earth regarding our relationship with God. So what does God expect of us? <clears throat> Seems like a big question, isn't it? A big question. What does God expect of us and from us? Um, does He? expect anything from us. Because, see, we have ministered um, very strongly into grace, the finished work of Messiah. We have um, ministered very strongly uh, into that we're led by the Spirit. And uh, we all believe that for us, baptism was dying to self and resurrection into eternal life in Messiah. And yet, now we have to look at uh, the balancing side of the coin. Um, while we are here on earth, what is the expectation? What's the standard? What's the standard? And we have to do all, do all of that without any condemnation. <coughs> without any self-righteousness. Without self-righteousness, without condemnation. <coughs> without going into works. And yet, fulfilling uh, the purposes that God has ordained for our lives. So that's what we're looking at. So, the focal point in the Bible is crowns. Religion calls it the five crowns of salvation. Um, we know that cannot be right. Just can't. So what is the answer then? Okay. So let's have a look. We're going to have a significant portion of the puzzle fitted today. We looked at the crown of Aaron. We realized that the first kings in Israel was not crowned. They were anointed. The high priest Aaron, he was crowned. And the crown that we looked at was... Um, a plate made out of gold and an inscription on it that said holiness unto the Lord separated unto Yahweh that's what it would have meant in the Hebraic understanding Yahweh the beginning and the end I am I am um, complete circle of truth and fulfillment he is life is truth, and uh, the high priest had on this golden plate that covered his head written holiness, separated, as God is separated. And we saw that that which is put upon his head, his mind, his thoughts, his covering as he has to walk from his tent. through the outer court, enter the holy, holy place, and then go into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. He is um, 
set apart for God's service, the same as the Ark of the Covenant, overlaid with gold. So he becomes part of the temple, part of the tabernacle of God. It's a wonderful picture. I want to bring us back to that, just that realization of, um, just put yourselves uh, for a moment in his place and try and um, imagine the experience. I'm convinced that um, the weight of the gold on his head would have helped him. Having a gold is heavy. And you're right, it's made from purification. And um, him walking into the tabernacle with the weightiness of God weighing down on his mind, on his head physically, um, that would have, I think, greatly helped him to keep his thoughts and his attention on the holiness of God. Because inscribed on top of that was holy unto Yahweh. Imagine walking around for the Day of Atonement with that written on your head and weighing down on your mind. And you have to kind of live up to it. Just put yourself in these shoes for a moment. On his chest he has the stones representing all the people, representing the twelve tribes, all of God's people, set apart by God for himself. His robe representing the law itself. On the other side of the curtain, as he approaches, the very manifest holiness and glory of God is above the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant representing in the entire Bible, the entire story, God's entire will. A golden square box. Completely covered in gold. separated from the entire world, everything outside. As he approaches, he's approaching the law, written on stone tablets by Moses. <coughs> that is why we... Um, in no way 
having died to sin and having been washed by the blood of the Lamb, having been justified freely according to the perfect will and decisive decision regarding His finished work of Yahweh, in no way we therefore minimize or disrespect the law. So I don't know if you have the same impression on your heart that if I had to if I had to enter and approach the law in the presence of God even after all the purification rituals, the washings or all of the preparation that has been done and you're not even allowed to sweat there would have been a holy fear in my heart we're not even looking at the very manifest presence of, <coughs> presence of God yet approaching the box with the law inside that would have been enough to scare all sin out of me That's the reality, and we, we are currently looking as a fellowship at, at the actual judgment so that we can learn and so that we can understand. Because I think many believers think they have a, a, a picture and an understanding of judgment, and there is going to be a judgment day, we all know that, and we look at the details but I think very few people actually pause to really grasp and really allow themselves to feel the weight of the fact that he's going to sit on his throne. In all my worship and my praises and all my interactions with the King of Kings, Yahushua, I tend to allow myself to perceive His glory. I tend to allow myself to perceive His goodness, the love in His eyes, His forgiveness. But I don't know about you, I don't personally really allow myself to perceive the throne too much. Because the whole picture, as much as I'm loved and accepted and I've been forgiven, the whole picture is intimidating and scary. And yet, it fills you with hope and excitement all at the same time all of the possible <coughs> emotions that you could experience in this body, this being. So that's really a part of our existence on this side. We are going to be set free from this physical form, our own thoughts, and our emotions eventually. But while we're here, it's this mixture of experiences and perceptions. 
when it comes to Yahweh and his son, the king of kings. So I can imagine that for Aaron, in approaching the Ark of the Covenant with the law encased in the gold, two angels looking down towards the law, a picture signifying the fact that God gave the law and it is policed, implemented by angels from the heavenly realm to the earthly realm. That's the picture. I can imagine for Aaron that he would in his heart, in his whole being, have a great sense of relief, a great sense of um, thanksgiving and gratuity. that there is the mercy seat between the law and the angels. And more importantly, where he's going to sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice, the mercy seat is in between the law and the glory cloud of God. I think as he is approaching... I think um, there could be no other way. For me, I think the overwhelming sense of how good his provision is and how thankful I would be for his forgiveness, with every step that you get closer to that place, I think that would just increase exponentially. I don't know how he kept himself from just falling down on his face mm. and worshipping mm. by the time that he reached the actual spot. And how did he get himself to leave again? <laughs> I was just thinking that I would just stay there. <laughs> See, That's at that point where I would cast my crown to the ground. Imagine reaching the very point where you can move no further, you're as close as close to the glory cloud and to the Ark of the Covenant as you can possibly be. And written on your head is holiness unto Yahweh. Would you be aware of anything else but the fact that that cannot possibly be true? 
doesn't matter who you are. Faced with the law, written on stone tablets on the mountain in the presence of God. The mercy seat, the square golden box, representing the New Jerusalem. and the manifest glory of God. And you reach the point where you're as close to this as you can possibly be, and on your head, the mercy, the glory cloud is up there, so God is looking down, and what His perspective is going to illuminate is that written on a man is separated unto Yahweh. How do you remain upright? Do you do you lose focus and Realize your nose is itching and scratch your nose for a moment. Would that happen? Do you go like ready to sprinkle the blood and you go like your mind goes back to the sheep that fell into a ditch yesterday, <coughs> how you struggled to get it out. Is there any chance that would happen? Or your neighbor that did something that upset you? We all know those moments every day. We kind of walk away, we did something, and we can't even remember what we exactly what exactly happened. I wasn't present, I was doing something, but I wasn't there. We all know that feeling. How often does it happen? And usually when that happens, it's not because we were thinking pleasant thoughts. Mm. We don't usually lose concentration or focus because we were so filled with joy. That's not usually the cause of our distraction, is it? <laughs> For some reason, the average mind <coughs> will randomly choose to fixate and meditate on whatever is negative on that particular day in our lives. And I know we have real issues and problems and challenges. I know that. I know life isn't always easy. But our mind, our minds will choose in the moment when we're supposed to be happy. So the entire day we have the responsibility of dealing with the issues of life. Okay? At least eight hours out of the day. Then we have to raise our kids, deal with family, finances, you name it, all the stuff, okay? Dishes. Dishes. <laughs> and then somehow, out of a 24-hour day, when we have the hour, out of a 24 hour day, an hour of little 
moments that could be happy and blissful and relaxed and restful. If you take all the moments together, then you might have one hour out of the day. And then in that moment, <laughs> that's when my mind will go back to the issue that I could deal with later or have been dealing with early on during the day. Oh, there's like, oh, look at this buffet before me. Which one shall I pick? <laughs> so in our process of looking at the crowns and judgment, his presence, his finished work, all of that, we are glancing back at last year's teachings. We're looking again and refreshing, reminding ourselves of the eternal truths. For the first part of this year, we did principles. Mm. Principles that could guarantee any believer, guarantee any believer, um, a successful walk with the Lord. Straight road, you won't get lost, you won't be off the road. The principles will guarantee that. So we're looking at all that we've done and where we've come from. And in the process, we're realizing that there's a lot of work still to be done, a lot of implementation. Is that what we're realizing? Because that's the feedback, feedback we're getting. So if you're sitting there thinking you're the one that have not been so successful in implementing all the principles, okay, then just um, look around you. Everybody <laughs> else is thinking the same thing. Okay. But just because everybody else has not attained, attained to their perfection, thank you, <laughs> doesn't mean that gives us an excuse to stay where we are. Okay. So, what are we doing? We are in the process of, again, activating each other on a new level, hopefully. So we looked at talents, a given. He gives up what is his according to our ability. And we're supposed to trade because he's coming back to settle the books. So we go, well, there's no judgment for those who are in Messiah because we're going to be judged according to being in him. But yet the Bible says he's coming back to settle the accounts. accounts. With his servants. With his servants. Not the other people. Okay, so, luckily half of all believers are safe because they have not been serving. So, not if you're not his servants, oh. then... It's always a loophole. <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing to worry about, right? Okay. So, we, we want to be careful that we are not judgment-minded, but that we do not ignore the fact that the person with the one talent that buried the talent didn't use it. That he was called an unprofitable servant. Mm. So we don't want to go into that, but we don't want to lose that out of focus. So what is, what is our responsibility? How do we walk this out? Huh. We're going to address this question by looking at the crowns again. And you're going to explain to us 
crown of righteousness. Mm. And then from there we'll okay. connect. So that we can get a hang, <coughs> or at least some kind of uh, uh, practical idea of what to do with the crown truths in the Bible. Mm. Okay. So let's read 1 Corinthians okay. chapter 9. Again. Verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now, now, they, do, now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Not with uncertainty. <coughs> Not with uncertainty. Okay. Little exercise for everybody. Remember, this is for us to grow. Our job is to make sure that the sheep eat, drink living water, grow, and are healthy, and we protect Everybody. Okay. So, little exercise. If we look back on our week, and we consider uh, the principles. Okay, what's the principles? All of them. All of the <laughs> principles. Okay. It's very basic. It's actually very straightforward. Mm -hmm. Okay. Straight thoughts, beginning and end. Straight thoughts. Mm -hmm. So, no spaghetti brains. Mm -mm. Are we still not allowing spaghetti brains, or has it crept in again? You know, all those circular, tangled-up thoughts, you don't know where it came from, you don't know where it's going, and then it repeats itself over and over and over. And then when you come to, you find yourself in this deep pit, and you go like, how did I get here? <laughs> do, you, do you really ask the question, how did I get here? You actually just did what you did like, before, oh. every time. Do it the you same way every time. You jumped in, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you dived in head first, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Principles. So the thoughts. These are easy things. I don't know, I don't know why we um, compile such complicated teachings surrounding these things. We could have just said it as it is, but yeah. that wouldn't be entertaining at all. So, no negativity. No negative speaking. No negative speaking. Thinking. How are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> okay. The big issue. Self. Okay. So the cause of all the negative thinking, speaking, feeling. The cause. The cause of all the lost time. The cause of all the tiredness. The cause of all the anxiety. The cause of all the fear and the worry. Is what? Self. That's simple. So, he says we run not with uncertainty. So let's quickly just glance back at the week. How many uncertain moments did we have? None. So, we don't want to leave this undefined. What's those uncertain moments? You know the moment when you knew before you said that thing that you were not supposed to say? Knew you were not supposed to say it? 
or a negative thought wants to kind of present itself to you. You know it's not true, but you're going to give yourself to it anyway. So let's relook at this thing he's saying. We run not with uncertainty. So now, what would certainty look like? Decisive, mm. proactive, steadfast, steadfast, unwavering, mm. single-minded. Thank you, Johannes. You are so prophetic. That's exactly where we wanted to go. Righteous. He's Thank you. Us <laughs> you see, you are well discipled. All right, now take us to 2 Timothy and then we okay. go from there. So now let's keep this in mind and go to... So this is not to accuse anybody. It's not, you know, that we have a policy. Oh, we don't have a policy. It's a kingdom policy of no condemnation. <laughs> but no condemnation for those who... Are in the spirit and not in the flesh. So what happens when you're in the flesh? A lot. Everything happens. I wouldn't know. You're lucky. <laughs> no, I'm obedient. Okay, so <laughs> nice, nice. Not uncertain. Let's read the scripture. <laughs> okay. 2 Timothy chapter 4. What I like about, especially, obviously in our ministry, in our way of teaching, one of our fortes, if you will, is connecting scripture. But I really like connecting this thought in 1 Corinthians with this last train of thought of Paul's in 2 Timothy. Because the scripture in 1 Corinthians, we know the 1 Corinthians letter was written pretty early on in Paul's ministry. And then this second letter to Timothy <coughs> is written towards the end of Paul's life. And so connecting the two, I feel, is just like completing a circle. Yeah. And, uh, and okay, let's read it, then you'll see what I mean. So from, from verse 6, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Okay. So we're going to look at the crown of righteousness, but we have started unpacking the, the truth of just the crown. So today, to connect the two, we're going to relook at righteousness, and then from there, we're going to build out some truths to start connecting all of this. <clears throat> so we have taught on righteousness before. Um, but we know that righteousness in itself, I mean, this is one of the big themes in the Bible, is that righteousness isn't something that we can attain to or something that you just uh, get by itself. 
um, there's a specific process leading up to righteousness. So righteousness is not attained, it is imputed, gifted. And it is done so by faith. So it says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And so it only makes sense, logical reason, that if we really then want to understand righteousness, then it would help to look at faith, since righteousness doesn't come by itself, but it comes through faith. Can we pause quickly? Just Is there anybody thinking right now, but I know what righteousness is? Just check. Because these thoughts can just form in us. And we go like, well, I've heard teaching several times. <laughs> and faith, like... Okay, so let's not do that. That's why we stick to the principle. What's the principle of witness? Return, repeat, repeat do, again. do again. Okay, and why do we do this? We return, we repeat, and do again until it becomes who we are. Until it's not a piece of information anymore, it's not a doctrine, it's not a knowledge about the scriptures, it's how we live, it's what we do. It is our consciousness. Okay? So we will be steeped, established in righteousness when the truth of what righteousness is, the biblical meaning of it, is our consciousness. With other words, there's no variation or uncertainty regarding that in us anymore. It's our consciousness. So, knowledge, understanding, wisdom. Okay? Also, I just want to add a quick thing to that. In my personal walk, I know I go through cycles where the Lord, every now and again, kind of reminds me of truths. And especially because I'm a minister, uh, there is for myself a great danger of thinking, well, I know. But the Lord is gracious in the sense that every now and then I go through cycles of, of Him showing to me the truth again. And then I find it's very important to give myself, and I want to encourage everyone to maybe consider the same thing. It's very important to, to give ourselves to the truth again, as if new. Uh, it refreshes it on a very new level. And we know that Yahushua says that the Father is seeking worshippers to worship Him in spirit and truth. And it's very hard to worship seems to us easier to worship Him in, in spirit, but, but the truth has to be refreshed in us like, like living water. And so we, we um, aspire to have Him refresh truth in us again and again. Uh, it just encourages true worship as well, so keeps us alive and healthy. Okay, so the crown of righteousness, righteousness is imputed through faith. Okay, now, since we have taught on this, I'm not going to do a very big build-up. So we know that uh, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And the defining piece of scripture in the Bible, in the Word of God, is Hebrews chapter 11, that very, in a very specific way, defines faith. So faith is not something random. It's not me hoping for something that I want. It is something very specific. Uh, so we have many examples to go to, but we know that the great example given to us and the standard set by God himself is Abraham. 
So we know the story of Abraham. What happens is that God reveals to Abraham the new Jerusalem, the finished work. And from that point forward, Abraham separates, is separated and separates himself from the rest of the world. And from that moment is going to base every thought, every action, every move, every step, every decision. is going to base it on that which God has revealed to him. Uh, so the way that we have explained it in the past, a very practical way of understanding, is a road. So in our life journey, wherever we may find ourselves, and this might vary, let's call that point A, the place where God finds us. And then he is going to reveal to us, a destination. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, and we are looking at righteousness. We're going to the road. So we know that when God reveals to Abram the finished work, Abram doesn't just go, wow, great plan, and then sits in his tent and waits for the end to come to him. There's a moving. So even though it's going to come generations after him manifest in this timeline, there's a moving forward. He moves into it. He moves into the future, if you will. So there's this destination given by God. Let's call that point B. Okay. Now I'm going to interrupt myself very quickly. <clears throat> so, we said that God is going to reveal to Abraham the new Jerusalem, and then Abraham is going to put all of his trust in that, and then direct his entire life according to what God has revealed to him. So now if we take any person, and God reveals to us the new Jerusalem, first of all, we think, okay, great, he shows us the city. So now I'm supposed to base my life on a city. But the city itself, can we just think for a moment? The city itself, the reason God reveals that is because everything else about God and everything else about the word of God has to be true for the city to be in existence at all. We're looking at all the other eternal truths. We're looking at resurrection. We're looking at salvation. We're looking at glory. We're looking at one man. We're looking at the body. We're looking at the bride. We're looking at covenant. We're looking at everything else because if one of those pieces are missing then the city is wonky. Just make will. sure, because um, we just want to make sure, is the city complete? Is there any chance that we could be looking at half a bold city? <laughs> well, okay, so this is bringing me to my next point. So let's, I'm going to paint a scenario. Okay, so God reveals to a person, he goes like, New Jerusalem. <coughs> and now... His expectation is that we put that, our, that the person's response is in full trust and full surrender to that which God has shown him. But since God is absolutely fair and just, would it be reasonable for God to expect full surrender and full trust from a person as a response? if the chances of what he has showed them is that it's probably going to be true. Like 99.99999% 
it's going to happen when you get there. So you're going to walk the road from where you are to there, and when you get there, it's probably going to be there. It's probably going to be true. Would it be fair for an absolutely just and righteous and good and fair God to expect that from anyone? So the person does a risk assessment, goes like, okay, well, there's 0.0001% that if I risk my entire life and base every thought and decision and action and align it with this, there's still like a 0.0001% chance that I might get there and then it's not there. So do a risk assessment and go like, you know, just for me, like I'm very adverse to, to risk, so that's just too much of a risk for me, I can't do it. Then it cannot be wrong to go like, well, what kind of response is that? Because maybe that's too much of a risk and then that could be fair. So if God is going to expect full surrender and full trust, then the outcome has to be absolutely sure because a fair and just God could not expect that kind of response for something that will probably happen or be true. It's making sense. Okay, so in the same light, we can now pose the question, what if God just shows us kind of a half-built city and then go like, come along, come build the city, and if everyone helps build the city, then we're going to have a city. Okay, if, if it depended, if the <laughs> completion, if the perfection of the glorious new Jerusalem depended on us, Doing our part. (laughs) I hope it doesn't rain there because (laughs) we would not have a roof. (laughs) If it depended on on us. (laughs) And yet, we are living stones being built into the new Jerusalem. How do we we respond if we're not sure? Mm. Faith. Faith. Very well done. Good. It's coming together. It is coming together. Okay, so we know also that in Hebrews, it says that God, on the seventh day, had finished all his work, and then he sat down and rested from all his work. So now there's a sureness. What he revealed to Abraham, what he revealed to all of us, is sure. And this now brings me to the next point. It's going to sound a bit everywhere but you'll see it comes together okay so now there's a straight road to go to the end destination but i'm going to backtrack a bit because the bible says that there's one lord one spirit one faith one baptism and so let's i just want to look at the the origin of faith because now faith is very defined I can't have faith in something and you have faith in something else and we all kind of have bits and pizza bits and pieces bits of and faith. Pizzas. <laughs> <laughs> I have some leftover pizza in my fridge. <laughs> just crept in there, okay? Apparently my body wants pizza. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, so there's no bits and pieces of faith that we all kind of have and then you show me your faith and I'll show you my faith and then let's compare. There's a very specific, there's one faith. 
And so I'd like to take a moment and we just look at the origin. Where does this faith come from? Where did it originate? And why are we going to base everything on this? So, in eternity, do you want to? You're just changing your position. Okay. In eternity, there is a moment when the Father begets the Son. And we know that it says that the Son is the full expression of the Father. Everything that was made was made through Him, by Him, for Him, in agreement with the Father. But we know that the Father reveals all of Himself, all of His will, all of His plan, everything that can be known about Him, He reveals and imparts to the Son. So the Son knows that the Father is good in His entirety. He knows that He is faithful and unchanging and that if he will something then it will be done because he knows his character absolutely <clears throat> so the father reveals his entire plan to the son but a part of the plan entails that the son has to manifest a pretty big chunk of it so then the reason for this is because there's no agreement there's one will uh, there's the witness, and there's relationship. So the Father isn't going to create on his own and then just show it to the Son. He's going to create together with the Son. Do that again. Just write it down. Will, witness, agreement. <clears throat> so the Father isn't going to create on his own and then just go like, Look, Son, look what I made. They're going to do it together because it's all about relationship. If, if it wasn't about relationship, then what's the point of the son? You could have just created. Okay. So the father reveals the entire plan to the son, and the son is now going to have to manifest some of or most of this. And this entails him coming to earth in the form of a man, walking out all the will of the Father, fulfilling all of the will of the Father, not veering to the left or the right, not a moment of doubt, not a moment of unbelief, putting all of his trust in the fact that he knows that the Father is good, his will is sure, his word is perfect, and he is unchanging and faithful. And then... So not only does he have to, he says that he does nothing, that he does not see the Father do, he says stuff, nothing that he does not hear the Father say. Then it says that he attains perfection through his suffering because he has to learn obedience. And then it says that only after that, when he is perfected, it's, it says now he becomes the author and the finisher of our faith. The author and the finisher of our faith. So we're looking at two dynamics of faith here that are both pointing back to the Son. So, how is he the author of our faith? Well, he is the origin. He is going to define how faith works, how faith is the response, how faith is walked out, because he is going to put all of his trust, every action, every thought, every breath he takes, every move he makes, he is going to base entirely on the perfect and finished will of the Father. 
He knows, even though he is part of the fulfillment of it, he knows that if the Father wills something, then it will be done. There is no doubt about that. He is Almighty God. So he is going to put all of his trust by fulfilling, but he's going to put all his trust in the finished will of the Father. This is the standard for faith. And then in doing this, he is going to become the author. So now there's no other standard. There's no other variation. Faith is the response in trust and surrender to that which the Father has revealed. So now he walks out the rest this road and he doesn't veer. And he finishes the road. Does everything perfectly. Finishes it. So now the finisher of our faith. See, the way this works is that the father is going to explain to his son the plan before they even lay the foundation for creation. And he's going to tell him, look, <laughs> we're going to try to get them to kill you. See if that works. And if they do, <laughs> then, so make you super righteous. then I'm going to try and raise you, make you alive again. I've never done this before. I probably could if I wanted to. Let's see. Let's see if I can do this. See, this is a new plan. <laughs> no one's died before, so I don't know. No, I think I can do it. So, we try and get them to kill you. No one has yet died. There's no such thing as death, but this is the plan. And then, if we can get them to kill you, I'm going to raise you. And then, then, to make the plan better, you're going to lift up from the earth and go mm. into the sky. In clouds. Okay. And Lots this is, clouds. the plan is, this is going to convince everybody. <laughs> they're going to see you ascend and they're going to go like, <gasps> this is the plan. And the sun goes like, sounds good. I'll do it. <laughs> good enough. If I get to float up into the sky on clouds, I'm in. <laughs> so is this how it goes? So, for the father to relay, to impart his will to his son, in a way that there would be no doubt in the son, is it any, in any way different from what he does with Abraham? Could it be? See, the moment that the father wills anything, it's done. Could it be anything different when it, we're talking about almighty, I am, I am. Now you've heard all of this before. Paul says he runs not with uncertainty. Can continue. Okay, so. So the author and the finisher of our faith. In the same piece of scripture, in the very same verse, it says that for the joy set before him, he could endure the shame of the cross, but I mean that encompasses all of it. So for the joy set before him, because he knows the end destination, because he's fixing all of his attention and all his mind, living towards that, living for that, he can do all that he does. And then in him walking this straight and narrow road, because there's no deviation, so he... I mean, I think for him, we see that it says that um, 
when they have the Last Supper in the Gospel of John, and it says that when he knew that all things were now finished, and kind of, I always feel like it's, he kind of knew his time had come that he could now return to the Father. So I always imagine this road is straight and narrow because why does he want to waste time <laughs> here? As soon as possible, just get back. Um, so he walks out this straight and narrow road. And in doing this, because he is fulfilling all of the will of the Father in perfection and in fullness. So we did full measures a while back. There's no lesser degree. He fulfills all of the will of the Father in perfection. And this becomes righteousness. So he is all righteousness because he treads the straight and narrow road. He doesn't deviate. His thought, his mind is fixed on one thing. This is righteousness. And then we know that it says that when God imputes his righteous, or righteousness to Abraham, it's not Abraham's righteousness, because Abraham is now going to walk this road, but he's not going to impute righteousness to Abraham after he sees how Abraham does. Abraham, you walk this road, let's give it like 10 years, and then we'll see how much righteousness we can give you. He shows the plan. Abraham goes like, yes, I'm in. Bam, righteousness. And it can't, it's not Abraham's righteousness. This is one of the big themes in the Bible. This self-righteousness comes to nothing. <coughs> So it says that God imputes his righteousness to those who respond in faith. So now we have one standard of faith. We have a definition, a very defined truth for faith. And then righteousness is not our righteousness. It's his righteousness. So he treads the road. And if in him imputing his righteousness to us, he gifts us with the potential and the opportunity to walk out this straight and narrow road, not to deviate, not to turn to the left or the right, but to stay the course, sure and steady, all the way back to the Father. <clears throat> but now, so here I am at point A. God reveals there's an end destination and there's a road. One specific road. So not just any road. You pick and choose a road. We'll see when you get here, how you get here. There's one road. It says that Yahushua says the gate is narrow is the gate and difficult is the way. We've spoken about, for me, I feel like this narrow road is a, a thread. <laughs> so... When Monet opened, he spoke about, you know, we, we have this fine line, this fine balance of we have to live out this life, not going into condemnation, but also not going to self-righteousness. We want to enter the rest, but we also, so we have to enter the rest, but we also don't want to become passive. We do want to do the works prepared for our hands, but we don't want to go into works. And it seems like, well, where, where do we end up? Because we're not allowed to do anything. And in between all of this, there's this golden thread which is the road <clears throat> so he reveals the end destination to us and he reveals the road to us but just because he reveals the road doesn't mean that oh automatically wow I'm on the road now Woo no we know that first there's a gate there's an entrance there's a door 
And Yahushua says in, in John chapter 10, when he speaks about him being the good shepherd, he says that he is the door. And we also know that he is the way. So because it's his faith and because it's his righteousness, the idea of a road actually evaporates because he is all of that. Okay, but so now let's go to, do you want to come join me? Let's go to Revelation, the letter that we read. Uh, the sixth letter, the second last letter. So this is in Revelation chapter 3. Let's read from verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door. And no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. But where I want to focus is, he sets before us an open door. And what we are trying to, part of our reason for doing this entire study, as he also said, is that we do know that God reveals faith to us. We know that grace is him bringing the understanding of the finished work so that we can, by his righteousness, walk out this narrow road. But we don't want to fall into the trap of thinking, well, because he's going to do and supply everything, I can just lie down. He does set before us an open door, and the expectation from his side <coughs> is that we do enter in. And then once we're in, there is the expectation that we do walk the road. Because he has given us everything that we need. Because he has supplied everything. He is allowed to expect, and he does expect, that we do enter in and that we do walk. just going to add because this is part of the thing but I forgot to do it when I was supposed to point A point B and we know there's a straight line between the two but actually in between somewhere here So eternity mindset combined with the basic truth of full measures is the way that we believe all believers will become steadfast, will become faithful, and will become true witnesses. What is for measures, that when we read the Word of God, when we think about the things of God, when we consider godliness as it has been imparted to us, as we are called to godliness, we consider that all things pertaining to the Word, the Kingdom, and God Himself works according to a full measure. In other words, the highest 100% standard 
of every concept that we encounter. So we want to encourage, this is what we're going for, and, and until we reach this point, we haven't finished this work, until we see the fruit, the substance in each believer, and we see the substance of this in the body of Messiah, then we have actually not achieved our goal. And this is not something that can be rushed. It can be encouraged, we can work at it, we can grow into it. But you see, when every mindset, every day, every moment, every encounter, all fellowship becomes this same path from where I am according to the open door the cross, salvation Messiah himself straight to the finished work what is the finished work? that we are being built in as living stones into the temple, the dwelling place of God this is the work of God himself by the Holy Spirit through the body of believers in the fivefold ministry. He's building us all in. And we, we started this uh, study by looking at Paul writing that he as a master builder have laid the foundation that is Messiah, Yahushua, and that nobody should build upon that foundation with anything else. And that we should carefully build upon it. So we're building our own lives into it. In all fellowship, in all contribution to all that is kingdom. All that is related to everything that is about God on earth. We have to build carefully because that will be tested by fire. Now we've got to understand that being built in as living stones... That all in all our interactions, I'm helping you being built in and you're helping me being built in. But we've got to understand that uh, the truth of faith is that that building is finished. We're not trying to do anything and he's not trying to build the house. He has built the house. Our victory and our overcoming lies in all our attitudes and all our thoughts and all our emotions and all our experiences, our being coming in line with this reality. Now, that's one part of the coin. This is where, why we're doing the study, because now we don't want to become half-finished believers. Because we know that when we get saved, according to His election, He calls us, He predestined us, and He justified us, He washed us with His blood, I want us to have a look at this piece of scripture again. It says, he says to this church, in verse 7 of chapter 3, These things says he who is holy, he who is true. He says, you as the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. I know your works. Now, if we are called according to his predestination and his election, he's the one that justifies us. He's the one that renews us. He's the one that saves us. Salvation is his, according to his perfect will. And all we have to do is lay down our life because we trust the plan, in baptism, die a real death, and be resurrected into eternal life. If that is all, why does he say, I know your works? 
And then he says this. I want us to pay attention to this. He says, See, I, him, himself, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut. Open and shut case. Okay, no judgment, no problem. He opened the door. He's the one with the keys. He opened the door for me. Salvation is mine. He says nobody can shut it, so I'm safe. But then he carries on. He doesn't stop there. Then he says, for you have a little strength. And then he says, you have kept my word and have not denied my name. So he opens the door, but on our side, we have to do these three or four little things <laughs> with our little strength that we have. And he knows we have little strength. And all we have to do on our side, because he opened the door, he made the way, he is the way, he called us, saved us by the might of his right arm, and then on our side all we have to do is keep his word and keep his name. Easy. No problemo. No problemo. Okay, but now the question is, do we then have to keep his word? How much of it? To what extent? All of it? All the time? I don't like this teaching at all. <laughs> it's <Have> backtrack. You <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen the size of this thing? Okay, so... So, so our, our intention is to keep his word, right? That's our agreement. It's our agreement. It's our agreement, right? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to keep his word, right? All of it. Sounds difficult. Because we want the crown of righteousness. What's the standard of righteousness? So he believed the Father before any of it was done. Okay, so the Father says, the plan is we're going to let them kill you before death existed. Okay, like he said to Noah, bolt an ark and there's never been any rain. So that's the way he does things, right? He was like, Noah, it's going to rain. A lot. Uh -huh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Rain? Okay. What's that? So, it says Noah, build a big, big, big ship. Noah does it. It takes him a hundred years. He's never seen rain. He says to his son, I'm going to raise you up. You're going to become a man. He goes like, what's a man? No, <laughs> they haven't created yet, okay? A man? <laughs> That's the plan. And then he calls me, and he goes, like, keep my word. Keep my word. I remember when he told me that. I had to go into my cupboards, because I had a little red Bible from when I was a kid, and it was somewhere in a box. 
just that's how it started. Called me, said, keep my word. I'm like, okay, I remember there was two by two animals that had to go into the ark. That's about all I know. That didn't help you at all. Yeah, and that wasn't even right. <laughs> so the journey starts. So the question we're dealing with is, um, what works? I know your works. And uh, he gave me imputed righteousness to me. So the thing here is, the moment he imputed his righteousness to me, it made me acceptable and responsible. Because now, his righteousness is he fulfilled the will of the Father, all of it. And so he gives me his righteousness, and now the expectation is that I'm going to become that righteousness, to live that righteousness. And how am I going to do that? Uh, oh, oh, I have to keep his word. So let's quickly look at the context of 2 Timothy chapter 4 that we just read. So, the conversation, the thought pattern is going to end. Paul is going to kind of end his thought pattern by saying to Timothy, uh, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. Same reference as in 1 Corinthians when he's talking about the crown. He He says, we don't fight this one beating the air. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Same reference. Same reference. It says I'm running a race. And we don't run in an uncertain way. We run as one that wants to win the crown. So we discipline our bodies. We discipline our being. And we get rid of uncertainty through disciplining. Because the the road is straight. And then he says here, I have kept the faith. I've kept the faith. Straight road. So that's the thing about a race, isn't it? They don't give you options. Um, it's like you can choose. There's various, various um, routes. So we've got 22 routes <laughs> for this race. Okay, you can start when you want. And then um, you just do it when you want and uh, run. And then let us know when you're done. And uh, we'll, we'll just give you a medal. But you can choose any of the routes. You don't even have to let us know which one, okay? Just, just choose one. Just run. Now, the thing with the race is there's a route, point A, point B. Okay, so what happens if you kind of run the comrades and you go like, spot over there, there's a 7-Eleven? KFC. KFC. Okay, better, better, better. I should have thought of that. Better. Okay. So, the other guys are running. There's like these six friends sitting in McDonald's. Okay, so... Is that okay? So, this road doesn't go like this. 
It has to be a straight road. Mm. Okay, so he has set the door before us. And there's a crown. And this all boils down to righteousness. Now, if we're going to look at how do we get judged, does our work, our deeds matter? Because he says he's going to judge us according to that which has been done in the body. Now, that that's, could scare someone. People say it motivates them. I don't believe them. Don't think, don't think it works. Okay? Because if you're thinking, yeah, I'm doing well according to that judgment, you don't understand what's happening in the Word. Okay, he says, keep my Word and keep my, my name. So, what about those thoughts somewhere during the week that says things are going terrible, everything is for naught, um, if we keep his name, full measure, keep his name. Not remember his name every now and then. Not use his real name when you're in church or reading his Bible. So we can go like, well, we use his, his real name. Yahushua is his real name. You know, We know better than those Greeks. <laughs> so we know his real name. So now he says... No, the, the, Knowing his real name, accepting his real name, and using his real name isn't even an issue here. He's not even asking us to do that. He says, keep my name. Keep my name. What would that mean? His name means Yahweh's salvation. Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. No, Yahweh saves sometimes. Every now and then, when he feels like it, and if you were really good, then maybe next week, you might get saved a little bit <laughs> a out little of bit your more. circumstances and your worries and your cares. And but you see, he hasn't seen my problems in my life, so <laughs> it's like when he said, oh, we're, going yeah. to, we're going to kill you and then see if we can raise you up before there was death. That's he, when he said, he's <laughs> I am, I am, before my life. Okay, it's before, it's before all my worries. So what does it mean? So we, we're no longer focusing on judgment here. This standard has gone way beyond whether we get judged for good and bad deeds. Because he just said, keep my name. Not even use my name. Keep my name. 24 hours a day, every single day, for the rest of my life. Is that the expectation? And then we have to keep his word. Let's go to Colossians. So, if you're feeling a little bit intimidated by this teaching by now, that's was the purpose and that's what we're going for. We want to discourage you, Beat you make down. you feel like you can never reach the standard, <laughs> so you keep coming back for more teaching. <laughs> <laughs> so, Paul, we, we've we've looked we've looked at the Colossians chapter one before. Paul is uh, writing to the church in Colossae. He says, "This is what we're praying for you." Okay, he was doing the same thing. 
with this letter. <laughs> he was just he was just going for the effect that they'll they're never gonna feel like they measure up after this letter again ever. This is not an encouraging letter. This is a condemning letter. He says We pray for you that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Verse 9. So he's writing a letter to the Colossians. He says, our prayer for you, our expectation, our hope, the kind of standard that we're setting for you is that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, with, for all patience and long-suffering with joy. They're going like, we're never inviting this guy to preach in our church again. And then he throws in, we're praying this for you. So now they're going like, he's praying this? So this they're like, going like, we're never inviting this guy again. No more conferences for him. Because he comes with all these higher ways and higher standards, high expectations, telling everybody they should be better. filled with joy all the time. They should know the entire will of God and walk fully pleasing to him all the time. It's just unreasonable. Mm. Ridiculous. Totally ridiculous standard. And then he's probably going to tell us to keep God's word. Probably. And all of it. All the time. Oh, it's probably where this is going. It's probably where it's, yeah, no, probably where it's going. No, no, no more Paul. Let's just go read John. Okay? Thank <laughs> you. That's worse. <laughs> he's not even going to encourage. He's going to assume they're there. <laughs> okay, so we're going to have to acknowledge this is a, a process for us, a journey. A right journey. He has set an open door before us, and nobody can shut it. So the way that we start walking this journey out in righteousness is that we start believing that He opened the door and nobody can shut it. We first, before approaching the golden box with the law in it, we just start putting that heavy plate of gold with the inscription on the other side, not the inside, the outside. On it, we start putting that on our heads, and we just learn to walk with that, separated unto Yahweh, holy unto Yahweh, separated unto Yahweh. He separated me unto Him. So that's the start. Okay, and then we kind of find the, the straightest line we can between where I am and the entrance to the Holy of Holies. Okay, you don't. Mm-mm. You don't want to mess around when it's time to go there. So, simple road. He has given us a 24-hour cycle. Morning, dawn, and dusk, light and darkness. And all we have to do is just follow the straight line from point A to point B. Every day. Okay, we don't have to do it in one go. He gave us like little segments. <laughs> Seconds, if he, you will. 
luckily broke, he just broke up the straight road into the small little pieces called day and the night. It's the night sometimes that's the problem, you know. So, we just have to go point A, point B, point A, point B. As open the door, nobody can shut it. I have to keep his word and keep his name. First year. And then once I've got that heavy thing on my head, then I just need to give a step, right? That's like the logical process. Okay, so you know you can't stay where you are, because eventually you're going to just take the thing off again because it's going to get heavy. So just get it done. Step, step. The box is, there's actually a golden box on the table. Well done, Liani. Oh, that's profound. <laughs> so, straight line, and you go there, you sprinkle the blood. His Holiness is going to look down on what he has given you as a covering. So next week we're going to look at his return. We're going to look at the actual events, the timeline. Uh, I wanted to do it this week, but he uh, let me know that I was skipping <laughs> a little step, apparently. So we had to do this first. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, this is historic. It was spoken to the Israelites, and it is regarding the law. But, just read in Timothy quickly what he says about this. Maybe just read. Uh, oh, 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 yeah, okay, okay. Just listen to this. Cause, <coughs> so, we're going to look at something in Deuteronomy. It's spoken to the Israelites, and it is regarding the law, but we can apply it to ourselves because of so, in 2 Timothy, chapter 3, the entire letter, obviously, Paul is encouraging Timothy, but here, let's read from verse 14. He says to Timothy, But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Messiah Yeshua. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, instruction in not leaving or veering from the path. When he speaks, when he refers you to all scripture, the New Testament was not written. He's referring to the Torah, the first five books, and the prophets, the Old Testament. I just want to read the last verse that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. So he says in the letter that he's going to help us understand his judgments, says, I know your works. Okay, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so now we go back and uh, instruction for righteousness. And uh, if we're going to even... Uh, dare look at his judgments. We want to go all the way back here because this is how we're going to survive going through the curtain. Hmm. We'll read from verse 3. 
Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So this would have been translated from Yahweh is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So soul can be translated mind, right? Okay. With all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. Isn't that a bit excessive? <laughs> when I'm in my house? And when you're walking and when you're sitting and when you're lying down all the time then? No, no relaxing time. Keep his word. Yeah. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk in the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. Sounds like that extremist um, mm. sect. Mm. The one called the way, right? Paul was actually a part of that one. That explains a lot. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. Wait, it's not finished. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things, which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, when you have eaten and are full. Then beware, lest you forget the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him, and shall take oaths in his name. You know that changed, right? Just <laughs> that little part we don't do anymore. Okay, then... You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you, and that you may go in and possess the good land of which the Lord swore to your fathers, to cast out all your enemies from before you, as the Lord has spoken. When your son asks you in the time to come, saying, What is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you, then you shall say to your son, We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe, against Egypt, 
Pharaoh and all his household. Then he brought us out from there that he might bring us in to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. Then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Okay. So basically what we just read, mouthful, is this. That's an unhealthy art. But anyways, so. <laughs> now, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Yes, but. You know, there's this little corner. Because I really, really love my mom. So that's hers. And I love rugby. So there's a little piece of my heart that really, you know, I can't help it. Bigger oh. than the one. Wow. More than yeah. your mom? How dare you? <laughs> it's a tumor. It's a tumor. So that little part of my heart, that belongs to rugby, right? Okay, so... Pardon? That is just normal. <laughs> Wait, I have one. Oh, is there something else we love? My social life. Ah, friends. Friends. Friends, 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 yeah, friends you know. Plants. You know that? <laughs> so, friends, you see the friends, they're good people, they don't mean bad, it's just... Just because they don't know, they don't know God, why why should I reject them? You know, there's a little place in my heart for them. Bible says you must love everyone. Mm. <laughs> I, uh, what else do we love? Children. Ah, wait. There's a little. I've got to be honest. There's like a little technology. Technology. That's a good one. There's a little piece of my heart. Technology, and then. I've got to admit, there's just a little spot. Self. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Probably the bigger one. This one. <laughs> and then like that as well. Before we start um, trying to figure out which works, and we start worrying about is the fire burning up this work or that work, let's just go back to the beginning, the first commandment. Mm. That's how we start answering the question what's going to be judged and how, what works will be acceptable in his sight and which works not. Let's just 
start here. So he says, keep my word. Okay, so firstly, I'm going to seek him to know his word, to understand his word, so that I can keep his word, because if I don't get it from him, I've got nothing to keep, firstly. Mm. Keep my name. Keep my word and my name. Now, once I've gotten to the place where I'm going to reorganize my thoughts and my priorities according to His Word and His name, so I can keep it all the time. There's nothing else, actually. Try and imagine for a moment, only thinking His Word, keeping His name. His name is true, no matter what, all the time. That's all I know. Yahweh saves. Yahweh's salvation is His Son. The Messiah, doctrine of Messiah, <coughs> Yahushua, all the time. Okay, so keep His name. In all situations, all circumstances, anyway, everywhere, all the time, just keep His name. Simple, it's easy. And then, His Word. And then, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Okay, so we still need to answer the question about judgment. What works, which works are going to be judged? I don't know. I'm not there yet. I'm just. Um, I'm still over here. Let's love the Lord our God with all our hearts, all our minds, and um, all our strength. You have a little strength left. Just a little strength left. Uh, I've opened the door. And no one can shut it. And uh, this brings us back to the beginning of the teaching. So he is faith, he is righteousness, he is the way, he is the door. Nobody comes to the Father unless through him. Now we've got to just put this in perspective. We can look at the complication of this. It's a huge. If you go into scriptural reference and all the scriptures that has to be factored in to answer the question, how will we be judged and what will be judged? What is the crowns and who gets the crowns and how do you get the crown and what is the crowns? We can figure out that whole thing. It is a landmine. You have to work through the entire Bible even to get a hold of. Because now the questions arise: Is there a rapture? That's how you answer that question. Because there has to be a rapture, see? Because somewhere, not the white throne judgment, somewhere between or after, somewhere, he has to give us the white robes. Remember that? And somewhere the crowns has to be given because now the saints has to come back with the king to judge the world. And when did that happen? Because then is he coming back once or twice? 
and when and how and then that whole thing. So on to answer the question about the crowns and judgment, you have to literally piece together the entire Bible from Daniel all the way through and then all the other prophets and all everything Messiah said and the entire book of Revelation and then you might arrive at a question but before we get there might arrive at a question before we even get to the process of answering that question uh, this is what we wanted to just put in place today <clears throat> he is the way so all we have to all we have to first believe, accept, and agree to is that we're going to do it His way. The same way, because He's the example. So this is the plan. This is what this is about. Before we even get to judgment and that stuff, is this. He's going to come and show us how to walk the straight road of righteousness out, point A to point B. He's going to first walk the road first. And he did. And then he goes, walk in my footsteps. Mm. Just do it my way. What does he do? So yes, he is born. <laughs> First step, he's born. We got that right. <laughs> and he now lives as a human being but sinless and then comes a moment but you see he's sinless so he's living in the will of the father as that but he's not yet witnessing is he so just to tie us back to the last three or four Sundays teachings and Thursdays it's about the witness what is the witness in the end of the day keeping his word keeping his name so he's born he's sinless but he's not a witness until the father calls him and the father calls him and his first response is he goes and he gets baptized So he goes through the water so that he can be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. So he's not going to witness on his own. So if we believe he's the way, then that's the way. You're born and you're sinless. But then you have to go through the water so that he can fill you with his Holy Spirit so that you can be the witness. Now he becomes the witness. Because now he starts to proclaim that the kingdom of God is at hand mm. by the Spirit. And works follow. Works follow. Now he's going to do only what he sees the Father do. And he says that the work that he does, it's the Father in him that does the works. Because mm. he was filled by the Holy Spirit, right? Now, he's only going to speak the words that the Father gave him to speak. Every moment of it, even whilst hanging on the cross, it's going to fulfill every detail to the T. Mm -hmm. 
So what is the plan then? What is the way? What is the blueprint that he is commanding us to follow? So now we're going to have some suffering. There's going to be, to be a dying to self. And there's going to be a resurrection. And then there's 40 days on earth. Living according to the resurrection. So it's great to say, well, faith is based on a revelation of the finished work and it must, faith must then go, be a straight path through, believing that He's crucified and He's resurrected and that yes, there is eternal life for us because He has provided and He has finished His work. It's one thing to say, yes, we believe faith is that, but then now, mm. it, faith for us becomes living out the resurrection. That's faith and righteousness. And so after resurrection, he's going to walk the earth as a new creation in his glorified form, and then he's going to ascend. So basically what we wanted to establish before we look at the other part of it is that He's given us a very clear plan, a very clear pattern to follow. Straight road from point A to point C. <laughs> we're back at last year's teachings. We're back at the beginning of the year's teachings. Whenever our thoughts and our minds and ourselves starts doing this, okay, we don't have to figure out exactly what it's doing and why, we just have to identify it's not that. Mm. So when we're doing that kind of thing, okay, so this is what it looks like. I'm going to start to say the right thing. But in between the start of saying the right thing and ending up with an edifying, God-honoring, God-worshipping um, response, I'm just going to interject right over here a little thought about myself and just like put it in the middle of it. So I'm going to sandwich it in there so that it doesn't look unrighteous. Camouflaged. Problem is, if that gets burned up, it's probably going to burn both ways. So the be good beginning and the good end, it's just going to go up in flames. So he just gave us a very, very clear pattern. A recipe, if you want to call it that. A commandment, rather. So how are we going to win? How are we going to overcome? Are we going to overcome fear, anxiety, worry, doubt, unbelief? Paul says, I run a race, not with uncertainty. <laughs> 